Okay, I'm going to time is. Yeah, time dot is. And not Tim dot is. Do not go to Tim dot is. That's going... a bad thing. I'm going now. Tim dot is. What is this? Uh, is this some weird German thing? Yeah, it looks like. Oh, it's an Icelandic. It wants to run Flash. I'm going to say no. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> I, I said don't. I said don't go to Tim dot is. Okay, okay. Why okay. don't anyone listen to me? Okay, okay. Are we going to clap? What? What? What's what's going on? I'm I'm going to try to be slightly less nasal. I'm trying to trying to will my voice. Ellen, you're this is the nasaliest podcast out ever. of out of my nose. We're talking about like obscure Japanese TV shows, and now we're talking about Star Wars. So, because we're we're not like we're not like classy athletes or anything, you know. This is like Simpsons comic book guy the podcast, like. <laughs> The only reason why we're, we're not constantly fighting the urge to pants ourselves is that I'm pretty sure Sam isn't wearing pants, and at this point, neither am I. <laughs> uh, that is really, really disturbing. Tokazatsu, Two Brothers Exploration of Tokazatsu Shows and Related Media. My name's Sam. And I'm Harry. And I have to apologize, but we're not done with the introductions. So I'm going to throw it off to you. Hi, I'm Ellen. There's a lot that we're going to be sorry about this episode. We made fun of her enough on the podcast that we decided to actually bring her on. <laughs> Wait, you guys make fun of me on this podcast? You said you listened, Ellen. You said you listened. It's <laughs> all lies. <laughs> Like, it, it's not like every episode, but we do occasionally dunk on you. Like, we, we dunk on each other, too. It, it's, look, this is just the method of showing love in our family, that we constantly tear each other down and denigrate each other. Oh, yes, shit. the dunk ratio is definitely wildly skewed in favor of me and Harry dunking on each other. And then, you know, the rest of our family is in, like, a radius around us, and, you know, they get mild occasional dunks. Look, so you can have your own podcast where you make fun of us, or you can come on here and, you know, do it. <laughs> I'm so busy. <laughs> This is kind of your trial, Red Ellen. Like, uh, we, Harry, we really shouldn't extend like any future invitations until you know until the editing process is done. <laughs> yeah, th this this is your chance to prove you have a spot in the podcast and possibly the family if it goes really bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Ellen, all I'm saying is, you know, Thanksgiving is going to be hard enough this year. Like, it might be easier if there's you know three fewer people there. I, I I'm hearing that my invitation is a Zoom invitation, one way or the other. <laughs> That would actually make logistics so much better. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you for the sacrifice. <laughs> no. <laughs> I like the food. I'll, I'll hold up the turkey to the camera. <laughs> and, like, I'll, I'll describe how it tastes as I'm eating it. We're joking about this, but let's be honest, that could be what really happens in, like, six months. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we don't know what's going to happen in the future, but right now... We are actually going to cover, uh, and I realize that this ties in really well because May the 4th is coming up soon, so it wasn't the reason why we're doing a Star Wars thing. Holy shit, is Star this Wars releasing thing. on May the 4th? That's actually really good. 
It's May the third. Half the time you release on Mondays anyway. Just do it intentionally this time. Thanks. You can you can edit yourself <laughs> if you want to. But uh, yeah, we're gonna cover this. But you know, first, I mean, Ellen. We've talked about her. She's our sister. Uh, and also, she brings a certain perspective that I believe she has like, a whole disclaimer yes, yes. to get into. So, so I must read my disclaimer. Um, while I am a licensed professional mental health counselor in the state of Washington, nothing I say can or should be used as professional advice or information. I am not here in a p- professional capacity. I'm off duty. My badge and gun are safely tucked away in my locker. Ari, do you have any professional disclaimers to like throw up now? Like as a professional, like AI computer designer. I mean, I'm kind of a professional war gamer, professional food distributor. Yeah, we've got a dear job. Like, I think I've made it clear about how my level of professionalism is. It's like, don't believe anything oh, yeah. any of us say. Don't even believe that disclaimer, somehow. I'm a professional in the most heavily legally regulated industry in Washington State. I get what you're saying, Ellen, but like listening to our podcast and looking at our numbers, I've never been worried that people are paying <laughs> too much fair. attention to us. Very fair. So yeah, this is one of our off weeks, like, you know, it's our every month or so when we decide, like, hey, enough with the actual theme of the podcast, let's do something completely off-brand, and so we're covering Solo today. Solo, a uh, Star Wars movie. We got really mad about Star Wars a while ago, and we wanted to give it another <laughs> shot, and also, Sam has been insisting we try to watch it, and we've kind of been dodging it, and then, you know, we, we made I, it. I did listen to that, that episode, Harrison, where you were having the mental breakdown over the last star wars movie and to be clear i had calmed down so much from the previous <laughs> day like, I, was, <laughs> I was like non-verbal angry like i, I don't think i could have formed I full know. sentences it was it was wonderful it was it was like we were all living together again when we were children it was like, so great harry harry was a row in front of like uh, me and sarah he was like vibrating towards the <laughs> ending just like no no it's all wrong <laughs> Uh, but so I mean, good. that that was that, and I guess we're kind of violating because of what we're covering. We're going to violate our one uh, reference in episode to the last Skywalker. We've already had our one coronavirus reference. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Harry, um, just up top, uh, initial thoughts. Did you like the movie? Uh, yes, I I really liked it. Yeah, this is one of the good ones, isn't it? I think it's better than Rogue One. I have that conversation a lot with people. Like, Rogue One, I would say that the ending of Rogue One is better than the ending of Solo. Like, the ending of Rogue One is a thing of beauty. But, man, the beginning of Rogue One is just real clunky and inconsistent, and you could tell that it just went through editing hell. So, like, as a whole, like, it's a good movie. I quite like Rogue One. Uh, But as a whole, like, constructive piece, it's not as smooth. Whereas this one, you know, it's, it's nice. It's like, it's a solid, it follows a single through line, you know, Follow Solo from beginning to end. Maybe a little bit too long. You know, it's a two hour, 15 minute movie. Probably only needed to be like 150, you know. But that said, I I quite liked it. But without getting bogged down, that's interesting to hear because I actually thought that the end of Rogue One was my problem with it. Ballast Reef, like, is fucking legit, Harry. I, I don't know. It's just kind of a, a conga line of people doing dramatic sacrifices. And then they, I felt the editing was really hard at the end when they tried to tie it in too hard to, uh, you know, the beginning of uh, New Hope. Yeah, the CGI Leia was a fucking mistake. It was awful. That was fucking awful. It made me cringe. And it was such a self-own, too. Just, like, the back of the head. You could have, like, the silhouette, the back of the head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see a, you see a hand, 
you see a hand picking it up, you know, you see like the buns, you see like the back of the neck or whatever. And you just like, I can see it in my head and I get shivers from it. But instead they went with like this weird plastic CGI shit. You know, she looked, she looked like a blow up sex doll or something. It was awful. But anyway, let's talk about Solo. It, it's, it's the origin story for Hot Solo. And it starts on Corellia. Where this this is the point when the Star Wars universe still bothered to think about where ships were built and like how they were created because Corelli is a shipbuilding planet. Yes, it's a movie that acknowledges logistics and like travel uh, difficulties and all that fun fun stuff. It does invent hyperfuel, which has never been a thing before in Star Wars, but whatever. I mean, they they have fuel. It's not it's not crazy to think that they have it. Isn't that kind of what they uh, did with in the Last Jedi? Like you know, a lack of fuel was one of the big constraints of like the Rebel fleet. Or, the, no, sorry, the Resistance Fleet, not the Rebel Fleet. And by the Resistance Fleet, you mean that one ship that was in, like, a three-hour OJ <laughs> slow-speed chase. <laughs> it was the White Bronco of the Star Wars world. <laughs> Just a dramatic chase of traveling in a perfectly straight line in the void, and... With multiple ships appearing and, like, docking and undocking. Let's not talk about that. No. We're talking about Solo. We're talking about the good one. So, yeah, it starts with Han, and he is just doing... Uh, he, he's hot wiring a hover car. Yep, uh, you can tell that he's, like, in the middle of some shit, like, in the middle of uh, some crime. This is a young Han Solo, like, uh, late teens, early 20s, like, uh, who the fuck knows? It's, like, it's Dawson's casting, and it's the same actor for, like, a five- or six-year block. So I'm not entirely sure how old he's supposed to be right now. Looking at it, he was 28. The actor, at least, was 28 when he was cast. But yeah, he was supposed to be younger than that, I yeah, think. He's, he's a baby face, you know? Let's go with late teens. Uh, and he has got, come back from a deal gone kind of bad, where a, a the aforementioned hyperfuel, Coaxium, uh, they were going to sell a bunch of it, and they got ambushed, and he got away, but he stole some of it for himself and his lady friend, Kira. Uh, played by Game of Thrones uh, actress. Uh, oh, fuck. Why am I blanking on her name? I actually quite like her. Yeah, she, she's good in this. Amelia. What's her name? What's her name? Amelia Clark. Amelia Clark. Yeah. That is one distinct difference between Harry and me and Ellen. Ellen remembers names. Yeah, I, no, I, I looked don't. it up. <laughs> Not at all. Comparatively. To be fair, I never watched Game of Thrones. Whoa. Let's not get into that. <laughs> I kind of want to get into that, but uh, we won't. <laughs> I mean, I, I was that's, reading that's the books. That's shocking. Shocking. I, I was reading the books and yeah. like I didn't have easy access and I was waiting to see if it finished and it was good. And guess what? It, it did and it wasn't. You'll never know. Uh, the books probably aren't going to end. And if they do end, they're not going to end great either. Sorry, Harrison. Well, I mean, I, like, I've moved on to other pastures. Anyway, the, the movie we're theoretically covering. So uh, <laughs> he, has a, he has a vial of plot device, like a, a hyperfuel that is a few hundred credits, which is hopefully enough to bribe somebody and get them off planet. This is going to be the MacGuffin that we follow for pretty much the entire movie. Like, all the heists seem to evolve this one very specific, like, uh, mineral-slash-energy source, uh, which all you really need to know about it is that it's wildly expensive and wildly explosive. And uh, so they, they're they just getting ready to blow this popsicle stand and live life free, but then they get dragged in by one of apparently many alien crime bosses Han has worked for. Has a real bad habit about that, as we will see. Uh, this one is a, a giant water-based worm thing, big enough to, you know, bite a man in half, but very vulnerable to sunlight, which is how Ahan and Hira escape her clutches. Like, there is some uh, comedy shenanigans. Uh, he throws a rock at a window after declaring that it is a thermal detonator. And so some sunlight gets in, there's uh, chaos, 
and we get to a first uh, car chase in the movie. The humor stuff with him might have hit better if the actor had been not, like, you know, basically 30 when this movie was coming out. Yeah, it's it's very much Dawson's casting, like, 30-year-old playing a teenager. Yeah, but it's a good car chase with a hover car, and there's another alien guy who sicks some dogs on him. Yep, there's a stormtrooper that gets involved at a certain point. It's it's just nice, fun car chase shenanigans with, like, some uh, zero-friction stuff uh, going over a sci-fi landscape. They get to the airport, and it's very tense because they need to find ways to slip past security, and they're dodging, and the, the dude behind them with the dogs is always getting closer and closer. Uh, they bribe the guard, uh, and just as they're about to go through the gates to get to the uh, freedom on the other side, the uh, enemies, like the gang, they show up and grab Kira from behind. Uh, the stormtroopers close the door, and there is an alarm set off. So uh, Kira and Han are separated. Han is stuck on the far side of the gate, uh, and he knows that if he is caught by the stormtroopers, he is going to be arrested and just murdered immediately by the gangs when he goes back. And so he does a very stupid, smart, who-the-hell-knows thing uh, that many late teenagers do, and joins the army. <laughs> and and that's one of the reasons why, like, I almost think that he was he was 16 when he joins the army. Like, for some reason, like, like that seemed like a very, like, 16-year-old thing to do. Yes, he should have been younger. Yeah. <laughs> he could have been younger. 16 to 21, Ellen, you know, that's the, that's the fuck it joined the army window. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'ma be a pilot. I'ma see the universe. The problem is that he looks exactly like Han Solo already, but they, they should have changed his hair or something to be younger looking. And then when he joins the military and then there's a time skip and we see him, but he's promised to be a pilot, but then he ends up being just a, a infantry guy. Mm-hmm. Well, Harrison, Harrison, I'm glad you brought up his hair because I have a lot to say about the hair in this movie. Talk oh, about okay. the hair, Ellen. I, I'd hoped you forgot this. <laughs> so, and it's very true. Like, like his hair already looks exactly like Han Solo hair, right? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been amazing if, like, he had had like some some blonde streaks or something in there to like distinguish that, like, he doesn't know who he is yet, right? This is one. So of his hair things. color changed. Maybe. So but, wait, but- are you saying that there should be a dramatic like moment where Han is just in a bathroom, like, dyeing his hair and finding himself? Why the fuck not? Why the fuck not? Like, this, the Han Solo that we get, the, the Han that we get, he is pretty fully formed. It's not really an origin story. Like, he's already there. He's already, like, co- cooker cutter, cookie cutter Han Solo, right? And one thing that really, really got to me about this movie, I think in a good way, is how many brunettes are in this movie. This brunette movie is, is kind of like, filled- most of the population is a brunette, Ellen. Isn't the world, like, 80% brunette? Yes, but in this, like, but but it seems like the brunette hair signifies something in this movie. I made a list, actually. Like, so, number one, I think that this movie, like, it should be called Rise of the Wavy Brunettes. All right, Ellen, I'm going to stop you right there. Because you, you mentioned this crazy theory back on, back on Monday when we invited you to this. And so I was thinking about it when watching the movie. There's not a lot of brunettes in this movie. Han Solo There's is so- a brunette. <laughs> Kira, her her hair is super dark. Like in the opening scene, it's black. Later on, it's a little lighter. But I would still, I wouldn't really call her a brunette. Uh, Lando so, so- has black hair. The the evil villain guy has white hair. Woody Harrelson has white hair. Yes, there's so- there's two brunettes: Han Solo and Chewbacca. So so what are we seeing? Some sort of like more morality attached to the the hair color, right? So, you know, we've got Han Solo, who is brunette, and his hair's like a 2A, like, 
curly type. Kira, maybe also a 2A, but she does like some sort of like hot hot tongs on her bangs. Like those bangs are, you know, messed with. Then we've got like Chewbacca, who's like a 2B. He's got hair like Selma Hayek. Like he's got those gorgeous fucking (laughs) wavy ringlets just like hanging off of him. I, I couldn't get my eyes off of it. It was like, it was like Jared Leto hair. You know, like I was envious, honestly. Like I know I would... it's probably not going to happen, but if any of us in the future ever meet Selma Hayek, we have to say, "Hey, just so you know, I've I've heard someone very favorably compare your hair to Chewbacca's." It's a lot like <laughs> Chewbacca's hair, <laughs> you know. And then Lando, you know, his, his hair is like a, a very dark brown, and it's like a four C curl texture. Then we've got Val, who also has very dark brown hair, also four C, maybe right. So, so those people are pretty, like, not evil. And then, like, as we get blonder, we get more evil, right? Woody Harrelson's character... I would counter this, Ellen. Woody Harrelson's I would character this. is kind of amoral, and then, like, Dryden Voss is, like, more blonde and more evil. Ellen, I would counter this with, like, the most, like, good character in the Star Wars universe is Luke Skywalker, and he's, like, you know, sandy like strawberry. But he's not in this fucking movie. That's why this is Rise of the Wavy Brunettes. If I'm pulling anything out, I mean, a lot of Star Wars is a World War II analog, and in that war, the more Aryan you were, the more likely you were to be on a kind of specifically bad side. Just just in very broad generalities. So that, that might be part of it. I mean, kind of going back to your comment earlier, yeah, Han is almost fully, like, 100% formed as a character here. Like, the difference between the character that we see in the first five minutes of this movie and the character that we're introduced to, and you know... Uh, in the bar in uh, New Hope is very minimal. Like, it could be pretty much the same character. Like, he gets a couple tricks, uh, he gets a couple scars through this movie, but otherwise, it's it's the same guy. It is weird, is... It is weird though, because, like, he... We don't really know where he's from. Like, this is an origin story, but we don't really know. He's from Corellia. He's from Corellia. They, they make it very clear he's from Corellia. His dad worked on the lines in Corellia. His mom uh, was there with him. Like, you know, he, he talks about his origin, where he comes from. Yeah, but, but how did he end up, like hanging out with like a street gang like basically being like indebted to a street gang like like he because the world's the, his parents died he's, owned, he was a galaxy. he's like chattel the galaxy is run by a dictatorship that empowers like local uh gang lords like you don't need to know more than that like something bad happened to his family there was no social safety net there wasn't universal basic income there wasn't universal health care and so in order to survive he had to get work where it was and that was in the black market People are forced into extremely negative situations because of the economy, Ellen. You don't need an origin story to be lower class. <laughs> but he's he's also, like, incredibly self-assured and cocky and knowledgeable. And, like, he's really good at poker for some reason. And, and we never really get into why he's good at poker. Like, that really bothered me. I know a lot of scrappy poor people who play a lot of poker. Also, it's not poker. It's Sabak. Yeah, it, it, it's it's poker whatever you, you get what i'm saying like he's he's too fully formed at the beginning of, of this movie like it they're basically like creating like um giving him stuff like an action figure like like oh that's where he gets his gun from okay oh that's how he learns to twist the gun okay that's where he learns to shoot first okay you know like that's basically the only difference between like the beginning of the movie han and the end of the movie han i would have liked to see more of an arc you are you are kind of touching on something there like he doesn't really grow much personally, but they do kind of... They're better about it than some things I've seen, but they do bring in lots of tokens of Han stuff and references. And it's not enough to annoy me, but they could have used with a little less and more of just 
he should have been more embittered by the end for some reason. You know, he he starts a new hope at a very bitter place. Maybe they're planning to do that with the sequels that we're not going to get anymore because they decided to give J.J. Abrams the keys Fuck to the franchise. God fucking damn it. Is that a problem with this movie or is that kind of just, is that a prequel problem writ large? Because with, like, the problem with prequels, and it's been discussed ad nauseum, is that if you're seeing the same characters that you've seen in later movies, what you have is a character who is less interesting than they are in later movies because they they know less, they've experienced less. Like, so you could either have, like, a dumb, like, kind of blank template that you see slowly grow into a character, or you can kind of do what they did and just, like, slam the original character into the old frame and be like, you know what, fuck it, he's 16, but it works. You, you say that, but I really, but they did something different with Lando in this, and he, I really liked him. Well, L- Lando was going to be cool no matter what, right? They, they got the right actor to do it, you know? They could have fucked him up. But they didn't. Yeah, it, was, it was fun, right? Like, I, I want there to be a movie called Lando. That's that's all I want right now. What was I going to say? Oh, Charles Dickens, right? So er, Charles Dickens' early books have a very, like, neutral, boring protagonist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because he thought that it was better to have, like, a, a neutral, boring protagonist who everyone can kind of relate to and then fill the world with, like, um, really cool eccentric characters, Right. If you look at his early work, you don't remember any of the main characters' names usually because it's not important. Like you only remember the side characters, right? I almost feel like this is one of those movies where like Han Solo is kind of like he's exactly the way he is in like the other movies. So you kind of just like let your eyes unfocus off of him and like just focus on like what's going on around him. He's not actually that interesting in this movie because he's not developing that much. That's fair. But then, like, later later in Charles Stickens' career, like, he realized that that was, like, a stupid thing. And he started giving his characters, like, agency and arcs and shit. You know, Ellen, you're actually kind of describing, like, a well-known toku problem. Like, uh, in a lot of toku series have some very boring blank template main characters. And, like, the toku writers, the toku producers, they are, they are coming around to realize, like, hey... In order to actually have a good show, we need to have an interesting character with agency. Yeah, yeah. But there's, like, also this fear of, like, alienating the audience by having someone who's, like, too different from the audience audience member. I don't believe that. I mean, like... No, I know. But that's the theory, right? I mean, it's a theory, but it's a bad theory, and it doesn't uh, it doesn't hold up. But let's move let's move through the plot a little bit. I don't want to. I thought I, this podcast. I don't want to crack the whip. I thought this podcast was about Charles Dickens, but I can shut up. That's fine. No, no, no. I mean, let's let's. We uh, talk about let's... a lot of C. Dicks on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, C. Dicks. Cut three years in the future. Han Solo is he's just an infantryman in the Imperial Army, uh, and he is like in the middle of a war, and he me he sees uh, Woody Harrelson. Who's playing um, Beckett, with just kind of a a rowdy captain guy? Uh, also, I I kind of want to take a quick diversion here. So, this movie just got us back on track, but okay, no, it's no, gonna no, be no. one of those episodes. It's fine. This movie went through editing hell, like it went through multiple directors. I went through just so many, so many cuts. Uh, one of the things that got left on the cutting room floor was actually an interim scene uh, between uh, him joining up and him being a foot slugging uh uh, just imperial grunt and that scene was a uh, han as a pilot he was a pilot for the uh imperial navy he, the imperial academy and actually like there's a little bit of cg uh that you can see with this scene they abandoned it uh they realized it was superfluous uh during development but 
it uh, made a couple things like Z95 Headhunters and made them canon in a movie and that type of thing. So you got a little bit of that uh, Han at the Imperial Academy. Interesting. I feel like they they explain it well enough when he he's like begging various captains who go along and different people like, hey, I'm trained as a pilot. You know, I just we they just need more infantry dudes and he's asking for like a change of job and none of them will do anything for him. Mm-hmm. But he decides to press Woody Harrelson because he knows that Woody Harrelson is very obviously impersonating an officer. Yes, he's kind of wearing armor that has bullet holes in it. Can, can we go back and talk about like how weird the production on this movie was? Because like I am actually curious, like what the, what the fuck happened with this movie? Because there were two directors, and then they were gone, and then Ron Howard, Ron Howard, Ron Howard. But Ron Howard makes movies. That's he not crazy. He does. He did Apollo thirteen. He does good stuff but what ron howard is is safe yeah he's like you safe. throw ron howard into a project like and he'll smooth some edges and he'll he'll get the he'll get it done he'll talk the the actors out of their dressing rooms and make everyone feel okay again but like what the fuck happened on that set like what the, what the fuck was going on with those two directors it is really sad and like rogue one is another movie that went through a couple directors which i don't know what that says about like the star wars line like you know the the main movies uh they had single directors and oh boy maybe it would have been better if those had had like uh directors jump in last minute too i'm still i'm just i'm just looking off to the side of being angry about uh, about the rise of skywalker it's okay so back to this movie so look in front beckett uh and beckett decides to turn solo in as a deserter which gets solo thrown into a pit with chewbacca Chewbacca is being held as a uh, slave slash entertainment by the Imperial troops because Imperials are the worst. Uh, they feed him deserters and he has been starved for three days. Well, I'm not sure if they've been feeding him deserters. They just they say he hasn't eaten in three days, but I'm not sure if the last thing was human beings. Probably was. I mean, there's there's some bones. There's some like helmets and gear down there with Chewbacca. So does this, this makes it canon that Chewbacca will eat a human? If he if he wants, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. Look, if it's Imperials, sure, whatever. They're space Nazis. <laughs> it's your job to stop being a space Nazi before Chewbacca eats you. <laughs> we we have a hard anti-Nazi stance on this podcast, Ellen. Hopefully, that's not a problem. As you I, should. I don't think it will be. Okay, good, good, good to hear. <laughs> like, We're also pretty down on capitalism in general. Oh, I'm I'm totally yeah. fine with that. Fuck fuck that nonsense. It's all nonsense. The biggest enemies of this podcast are Nazis, capitalism, and J.J. Abrams. <laughs> it's like, they, they call it the trifecta of evil for reasons, right? So, yeah, he's thrown into a pit. Turns out he can speak a little bit of Shiriwook, much like Ray, which is, which is why? never explained. Why, why can he do that? Why can he do that? There's no backstory. There's no, like, oh, yeah, like, like we don't see him, like, running with, like, Chewbacca's in the sewers, like, in, in Space Detroit or whatever, wherever it is that he grew up. Like, I'm just going to call it Space Detroit. They're Wookiees, Ellen. They're not Chewbacca's. They're Wookiees. <laughs> but, but you understand, like... Wookiees are used by the Empire as heavy labor. That is canon. And on Corellia, there would be a lot of heavy labor. And as a street kid, it makes perfect sense that he would have run into some Wookiees and learned a little bit of the language. But I want to see it. I want to see it. I, and, and Do you really want to see it? Yeah! Like, that, fuck yeah! Er, yeah! How much that, screen time should be devoted to a kid on the street learning a language? Yeah! Like, like five you minutes, just want long minutes? scenes of... Of him hanging out with Wookiees and cutting his hair in a bathroom and deciding on styles. I, I, mean, I am so down for that shit. I'm so down for that shit. And and like I want I want his hair to have been like buzzed in from the camera when he joins 
the military. I want that moment where like his iconic like Han hair is just gone, and you see like this bald headed kid, and he's like being shipped off like a space monkey into like like the space Nazi camp, right? If this was like a miniseries, I'd be okay with the more extended scenes, but I don't mind them kind of moving stuff forward faster. Like a, a line about yeah, I knew some uh, Wookiee workers on. Corellia might might have helped, but whatever. It's there's no reason why he knows the Wookiee language, and Chewbacca is another character that comes like fully formed into the movie, and I we see no growth. We see no growth. You see a little bit of growth with Chewbacca, and also Chewbacca, as we learned, is 190 years old, so he is fairly set in his ways. And you see like a little bit of the growth between them, like you know Han talks to him, which I'm sure like very few Imperials were willing to talk to him in his own language. So even knowing like a sentence or two is probably enough for uh, Chewbacca to at least listen. So they stage a fight where Chewbacca is beating on Han, but he's actually just knocking down some supports mm-hmm. and also beating on Han a little bit. And then they so they get out, they kill a couple stormtroopers, and then run and catch up with Woody Harrelson who has stolen a Imperial ship with a couple of associates. Uh, the associates being um, uh, Val from Westworld and an alien with four arms, who is He is adorable. fun. I love him. He is also not long for this world, so don't get too attached. Yeah, well, uh, Val also isn't long for this world because they're planning a job and they reluctantly bring on Han, mostly because he brought Chewbacca with him and they need muscle. But, you know, Val and Woody Harrelson are very happy together and they're a couple. And I looked at that and was like, she- she's doomed. Uh, the job, as it turns out, and uh, this ship that they stole is a mass lifter, and they're going to rob a train that is full of the MacGuffin, uh, the Imperial, or the the Starship engine fuel. What we have from that is a, a long, just really fun, extended train robbing sequence, and my god, we need more train robbing sequences <laughs> in movies. I don't think I will ever get all of them. And they find ways to make it more exciting because this is Star Wars and it's like a magnet train attached to a rail. So the train is actually kind of rotating and spinning around mountains to better maneuver. And that means that the people on the on the train, you know, stealing it have to constantly shift around and look for cover. And like there's there's guards on it that have magnetic boots. So they're stomping around and firing. That train was made to be a Disney ride. Yeah, and I'm sure it would be lots of fun at, like, the edge of the galaxy if, you know, any of us were the millionaires we would need to be to go actually visit. <laughs> uh, me and Sarah are planning on going as soon as she graduates. That's going to be our post-graduation present. I uh, hope you're safe enough for it. We'll get into it later. They're doing a bit of the heist, but something that Val was worried about, and Beckett wasn't too much, was that there is another crew that might be butting in on the heist, and they show up, and they are. So they were winning until this other crew of, like, a uh, hover bike bandits with like blades and blasters just start raiding everything and they're badasses and they're fun it it goes bad like a couple of them latch onto the ship that's trying to tow away one of the the train cars and a couple of people break inside and get into a shootout with the four armed pilot he takes about but is mortally wounded in the process so han has to jump up and like take over and kind of drive around and get them to safety as the forearmed guy just kind of dies by him. Very sadly, too. Like, you know, he he's holding out to Han like, hey, Han, don't die alone. Dying alone sucks. Go find your girl. Don't worry, he didn't die alone. He was he was with his family. <laughs> he was holding his son. Oh, stop as it, it stop it! No! I can't. I can't. Oh, that's awful. But forearmed guy is the, isn't the only person to go. I, I'm a little surprised she was willing to do this, but Val... She gets trapped at another part of the tracks, and the plan was to blow up 
the the tracks and just kind of grab the car as it's falling. Some some probe droids, which have been slightly retooled in a reasonable way to be kind of guard droids, that got summoned and she's pinned down. So she just blows herself up along with the track. And I thought the twist was going to be they're secretly rebels or something, so it makes sense that she's willing to do that. But no, these are the ones that aren't rebels. This is um, supported by my theory that like the brunettes in this movie are morally superior to air other hair she's not a brunette i i think she has very dark very hair like, dark. you could have dark she, you could have darker but i i don't think she's what you would classify as a brunette she, she has very dark brown hair yes she, she is she, i mean she's of african descent so she has very she is like a big uh, black fro that's a stupid question i thought that black hair was brunette in my mind there's no such thing as really black hair it's just like really brown well yeah of course but like you know is it brunette to me is literally like 80-85% of the global population. It's like brunette, then a little bit of blonde. And I'm looking up definition of, of brunette. Hair. That's it. So also, Ellen, your theory your theory is bad. There's plenty of evil brunettes in the movie. Most of the Nazis are brunettes. It's just, most people are brunettes, Ellen. This movie is all it about them. Nothing. And then, then at the very end, it's like Rise of the Gingers. So we've got like that red-haired girl. Like, like, Not like everything the is based on in, in the original color, movies, like the hero was like a blonde. Now we've transitioned to brunettes, and then it's going to be redheads. Like that's what the film is letting us know: is that the universe is big and it's got room for all the different hair colors, right? According to Wikipedia, brown hair is the second most common hair color after black hair. Wikipedia thinks it's different. Wait, so brunette is just brown? Black is not brunette? I I think so. Oh, huh. Sam, is your well, hair black weird. or brunette? It's it's brunette. Right? Uh. It was black pre-chemo. <laughs> Yay. Anyway, so the train heist happens, uh, but it then doesn't happen. Uh, Val dies, four-armed guy dies, and like they're they're towing away the, the cargo crate, but so are the dudes on hoverbikes. And even though Beckett is yelling for Han to hold on to it, Han sees that they're not, not going to make it, so he has to detach it. The crate gets lost. Yes, there is a big old explosion which takes out a couple mountains, because as we said, hyperfuel. <laughs> And that's pretty bad because this wasn't just a freelance job. Beckett and his buds, they were fronted equipment and stuff by a evil crime boss who is now going to kill them for not coming through. Yes, and that uh, evil crime boss is, uh, what the hell's his name, Harry? Dryden Voss? Oh, I was going to go with the actor. Like, you know, he's... Oh, pa- Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany, Paul Bettany. Doing a real good job. Also, uh, editor's note here, uh, this was originally going to be uh, the actor who played Omar from The Wire. Really? Oh, cool. Oh, fuck. Why not? I mean, it would have ruined your brunette theory. No, it wouldn't. It would have, I, I would have bended the theory in order to let Omar in. Because <laughs> he's great. Why didn't he do it? If the data no longer supported your theory, you would have just ignored the stuff that didn't support your theory. It, it's just, it's more brunettes and that's all I care about. It's like, bring on the brunettes. Why did he not do it? Uh, he was he was part of the uh, purge. Uh, for the Lego movie directors. That is bullshit. Uh, Beckett, he's willing to go back on his own, but Han, he really needs the money because all this time, his whole plan has been to get some money, get a ship, and go back and save his friend Kira. Even though he might just get murdered for failing, he goes along with Beckett to try and work out a new deal. Which works out because when he goes to meet with the Crimson Dawn Syndicate, Kira's there working there. Yeah, a big old galaxy, and it turns out Kira was right there. But it works out, you know, she is, he asks how she got out, and uh, she kind of, like, shudders a little bit and says uh, she didn't. Uh, like, she has she has gang tattoos, she has slave tattoos on her. So she is very much property of the Crimson Dawn. 
which is a up and coming uh, crime syndicate that's totally different from Black Sun, which they didn't want to bring into the proper canon, I guess. Well, no, no, no. Uh, a Black Sun is totally canon, uh, but you know, Crimson Dawn is a different organization because it's run well because we know it's who an it's up run and cover. By. Yeah, Han, like he is really happy to see her. He's apologizes for knocking her out sooner and like he tries to say hey you know let's let's go do this but they still need to meet with uh paul bettany let's just call him paul bettany yeah it, it's paul bettany it's vision that guy and he he's a very he's a fun entertaining take on the evil crime boss like he he's got kind of a light atmosphere he's like you know hey, hey my my superiors you know they're gonna want me to kill you for this so I, I like you, so give me a reason to not kill you. You know, give me a plan, something I can sell. By the way, as we are introduced to Paul Bettany, he is gutting a planetary governor in the middle of his study. With with a nice fiber blade that says, oh yeah, keep keep this uh, handy, I might need it later. Kira, Solo, and Beckett, uh, they have some verbal shenanigans, and they end up agreeing to give him what he wanted, like the fuel, in the form of raw, unrefined jet fuel uh, from this planet. They can find the raw stuff on Kessel and then just run to a different planet that has a refinery and quickly refine it there. Kessel run, eh? Eh? You know, I knew a few things coming into this, and one of them was that I heard somebody describe this movie as $200 million spent to explain the plot hole in the Kessel run description. <laughs> Money well spent. No, nothing Nothing plugs that plot hole like... What did you say? $240 million? Billion dollars? What was it? $300 million was, like, is the full budget, looks like. Not sure if that includes advertising. Nothing, nothing plugs it a plot does. hole like $300 million. Th- so they can just barely do it, but they do need a ship. And uh, that ship that Kira knows about is owned by one Lando Calrissian and his amazing droid, L3. L3, who I really liked and got attached to mid-movie, and I had to Google to see if L3 was going to make it through the movie, and god damn it. <laughs> L3, best character in the movie, by yes. far. Bring L3 back for her own series. An emancipated droid, just fomenting droid rebellion across the galaxy. That is what the future of Star Wars needs. Not even droid, like, specifically, like, when, when it comes to it, like, we'll get to it, but she seems up for all kinds yeah. of revolution. She, she just loves it. Yeah, like, and it, it also brings, like, some interesting points up about Lando's character. What if he really was in love with her? And what if that's why he wants his fucking ship back so much? I mean, he clearly was in love with her. Was he? I don't oh, yeah. know. I don't think so. I mean, they were having sex. Were they? They were definitely, uh, no, yeah, I, yeah, they were. I don't, mm, no, he was having sex with the droid. That makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> What? What? I don't know look, why. A con- look, a consenting man and a consenting Ugh. droid, like, they're figuring it out. Like, what's wrong with that? Know. Don't, 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 sh- don't shame, Ellen. <laughs> like, that's another thing of this podcast. We're very pro having sex with robots and you need to be okay with that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anti-capitalism, pro-robot sex. <laughs> like, that is right, our so- <laughs> stance, Ellen. Yeah, uh, our, we have three enemies and multiple loves and one of them is robots <laughs> that are that are totally into it. Consenting robot friends. <laughs> yeah. Alright, I, I, I'm down. But, yeah. But it, it definitely brings, like, a new element to, like, what the Millennium Falcon stands for. Right? Lando's former lover's brain apparently is also part of it. Yes, it is. That's creepy. And, by the way, the uh, this movie... Man, this movie just loved explaining, like, the minor esoteric stuff in the universe because, as we see the Millennium Falcon... We get an explanation for what that front part is of the Millennium Falcon, because there is a escape uh, pod attached to it. And it it sounds like that is a, a possible upgrade. 
there are plenty of other upgrades that could be attached to that, you know, that divot section uh, within the Millennium Falcon. I have seen lots of fan art uh, for other possibilities, like it could be a large cargo hauler and you could just attach like multiple cargo containers to the front of it and just drive them through hyperspace. And it looks it looks great. It looks like a tugboat at that point. Yeah, the, the YT-1000, its its original design was just a very base generic utility freighter that could be designed to do all kinds of things. Han Solo is just the guy. Well, I mean, Lando and whoever Lando got it from are just they just put as much stuff into it as they could. And now it's a super ship. Don't read too much into it. Like George Lucas got a flying saucer and just like made like a notch in it. No, Ellen, I'm sorry. One of the core loves of this podcast is reading too much into okay, it. Okay, I'm sorry. It's it's robot love and reading too much into shit. Okay, okay, okay. Also, Ellen, the official explanation from the Star Wars universe is that George Lucas was eating a burger as people were pitching him starship designs. He looked down at the burger with a bite out of it. <laughs> because, because just like George Lucas himself, his bites are also square. <laughs> he's the squarest human being alive also his bite marks are square okay i got it i got it they go meet with lando and there's a big gambling scene and han is pretty good at gambling which i don't think needs too much explanation but lando still beats him because he's cheating also sabak really is closer to rummy than it is to poker When, when they head back outside Lando meets with Kira, and it's clear that also Lando has been having sex with Kira. Lando's basically been having sex with everybody. I'm pretty sure he's had sex with Beckett, like, off-camera. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Lando, like, canon omnisexual. Like, liquid. Liquid sexual. He had a business venture that went bad, which is Lando's entire life, just over and over. Uh, So after after Lando cheats Han uh, out of cards, we get a little bit of L3, uh, just encouraging droids to break free from their oppressors so they don't have to fight each other in the fighting pits. Yeah, there, there was cockfighting with gunk droids that have saws attached to them, and she, she shows up and is like, no, this is this is barbaric. Like, fight for your fight for your lives. You're better than this. She's great. And, like, on the walk back to the ship, she's angry at Lando for agreeing to this, you know, like, hey, I'm part of this crew, don't I have a say? And her head is, like, rotating fully to glare at everybody while they're walking, and it's it's good. It's great. It's great blocking. Kira uh, intervenes, like, as Han was playing for the Millennium Falcon, trying to uh, win it, and Kira hires on Lando to the job. Uh, all Lando needs is a little bit of a favor to get the Millennium Falcon out of Hawk, uh, because there is a police brick on the leg. So they agree to do it in exchange for Lando getting less of the cut. And now we get to go to Kessel, which it turns out is in the middle of the Maelstrom. Uh, the Maelstrom is a uh, poorly explained, but hey, fuck it, it's Star Wars, we'll go with it. Uh, zone of space that is just nothing but like dust clouds, ion storms, uh, predators, random asteroids, uh, ionic blasts. Yeah, it's it's a bad thing to go through. And there's only a single narrow path to uh, leave and to come and go from the planet. In the old kind of it used to be a bunch of black holes that you had to pilot through very carefully. But that's also a whole different thing. Uh, there is a gravitational well in the middle of the maelstrom like them all. Uh, so they, they kept some of that intact. They go to Kessel, and it's just a very big involved heist where they impersonate some people buying some stuff. They sell Han and Chewie as slaves in so they can infiltrate. Kira does a thing where, like, she punches Han for disrespecting someone while he's a slave, but she's clearly, like, undoing his cuffs or giving him a pick or something. No, she she hands him the dice, right? It's the dice. Yeah, she she handed him the dice. Uh, We also skipped a little bit on the ship. Like, there's, you know, we have... Because this is a good movie, and they actually take time to slow down and not just have, like, a light speed plot. Like, 
we see Kira, Beckett, everyone just like interacting and just chilling and having a good time on the ship. Uh, Beckett is expressing concerns about Kira. Uh, he says like, hey, I know that sh- I know that you're in love with her. She's not as in love with you as you're in love with her. And off in the cockpit, a scene I really loved. Uh, it's L3 talking with Kira and saying, yeah, I mean, Han is really into you. Like he's in love with you and you need to figure out what to do about that. Like I'm in a similar thing, thing with Lando. He he really likes me and I don't like him as much, you know, like I've thought about it, but I, I'm not sure if we could just make it work. But physically, we could totally make it work. We've been having oh, yeah. sex. Lots and lots of sex. And there's did nothing I, wrong with that. Did I element. miss that part? Like, I don't know. Apparently so. Oh. But yeah, so the Escape of the Planet, it's it's exactly what you would expect. Like, get people inside, create a distraction, uh, Han and Chewie spring and steal a lot of the unrefined uh, ore. Uh, and by the time they break out, it turns out the distraction was L3 taking the restraining bolt off of some droids who then took off more bolts and then let open all the cells. It's just, the whole planet is revolting. Now, Harry, like, I've thought about this far too much, uh, far more than is healthy. Star Wars, in order to be a continuing interesting entity, it needs to have additional power factions. So it's not just rebels versus Imperials all the time, especially because then when the rebels win, they're not rebels anymore. They're the power structure. And so it gets weird and awkward. So I think clearly... A new power faction in the Star Wars canon going forward is they need to have an independent droid state. That that would be very cool. And this is how it could start. Just rebellions from droids everywhere. People spring it out. I just realized, um, does this movie pass the Bechdel test? I don't think it does. L3 and uh, Kira. But well, I guess we're talking men. about men, though. Like, like mm, isn't that thing. interesting that it's, it's a movie with, like, two strong female leads, I would say. Maybe not leads. I don't know. Two, two strong female There's... characters... And it doesn't pass the Bechtel test. There is also Val, but then again, I don't think there's any women around no. uh, before Val. Isn't dies. that interesting? There's three very strong female characters and does not pass the Bechtel test. Fascinating. It doesn't pass, let's say. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Nope. Uh, Efreet at the very end, like four, four strong women, uh, talks with Kira. Who's Efreet? Redhead. Oh. Are they talking about men? No, they're talking about the rebellion and hope and all that okay, shit. Okay, cool. Passes the by by a nose. So during the riot, Han is trying to keep his eye on the prize, but Chewbacca, he's mentioned that the reason he's doing all this, the what he's using his cut for, is to find other Wookiees who have been taken as slaves and you know try to free them. And during during the whole situation, he sees some some Wookiees being escorted back to their cells, and he refuses to go forward with the mission until he can go save them. And Han you know, kind of begrudgingly lets him and then gives him up and saying like, hey, yeah, you'll need this, you know, good luck. This is part of that good old Wookiee life debt. Like Han is actually facilitating uh, getting these guys out. I'm not sure it's actually life. Like one thing I like about the movie canon, at least, is that the life debt is not as big a thing. It's just they're being friends and liking each other. It doesn't need to be a weird sworn thing. They could just be friends. (laughs) Yep, they're just buds and they get along very well. There is a lot of chaos. It's a lot of fun shenanigans, especially like the droids uh, rebelling against the uh, leaders uh, in the group and just murdering the fuck out of them. Like we're we're talking droids with like electrodes and grinders as standard equipment, and they are turning on their masters hard. <laughs> L three has a good moment. She's cheering and saying like, "Yeah, I found my calling. Everyone's free," and that's good because as they go to escape, L three does get shot a couple times and falls down. And there's a real rough death scene with her in Londa's arms. He carries her back to the ship, and she is just, you know, she is going cold. She's like, what's happening to me? What's happening to me? It 
it's maybe a little more brutal than it needs to be. It was pretty fucking brutal. But it also, like, really hit home that this was, like, a, a, a person. This was a being. You know, it was awful. They get back to the ship. They need to escape. But because they caused a full-on revolt, that drew enough attention that the Imperials come and blockade the planet. So now they need to find a new way out of the Maelstrom. Uh, well, Londo proposes that they just go back, dump the cargo, and wait it out, because he does not believe that there is a way through the Maelstrom. Uh, but Han, being Han, insists that there is, and so he uh, dives through Well, Kira and Londo uh, work to plug in the droid's brain into the Millennium Falcon because she has one of the best navi- uh, navigation map uh, depositories in the galaxy and they they succeed and han has to do some crazy flying through uh, oh nice they they succeed han has to do some crazy flying through space fog and like asteroid belts which aren't the real way asteroid belts are and then also fight some space squid which i don't think are how actual space squid are i'm not sure these are the these aren't the space whales that we see in star wars rebels right no, no, no. Th- those are whales. Like they, they don't have tentacles. They kind of did have tentacles. Mm, I, they were much smaller in Rebels, though. Unless there were later on that I didn't see. Uh, fair enough. Like it, I'm sure that there's more than one tentacles uh, void monster in the Star Wars universe. There's so so many. Yeah, this one so was as, this this one was like as big as a super star destroyer. The ones in Rebels were like about Millennium Falcon size. I think they get caught in the black hole. Uh, and they need to use a drop of the f- super fuel to shoot them out of the black uh, hole. By the way, the super fuel being unrefined, they are on an extremely strict timeline to get it uh, to the refinery, uh, which is the entire point of the Kessel run. Like, they needed to find a way to get out of Kessel as fast as possible to this refinery. And that's why they had to duck through this uh, extremely dangerous path in the first place. Good job, writers. You explained it. It's a reasonable explanation. You know, sure. It's a little eye-rolly, like, the Bloody Falcon is taking damage uh, through this entire chase, and the parts that are getting damaged are the parts that we know are not a part of, like, the... So, like, it it starts with a single-barreled gun, and hey, that gets ripped off at a certain point. It starts with a different, uh, different satellite shield, and hey, that gets ripped off, like, as it's getting sucked into the black hole. So, as the Bloody Falcon is leaving, it is the bare-bones stripped-down version that we all know and love. They just barely get out... And they get to the planet, and they start refining the stuff, and you could be surprised. You you could think that the movie was basically over, but no, there's a whole nother act. Yeah, the timing kind of gets a little off here. Like, uh, as we're leaving Kessel, that really does feel like the climax of the movie. Like, maybe a little bit of denouement at the end, like, dealing with the gang lord. But you looked out at the clock, and there's 45 minutes left, <laughs> which is maybe, which is maybe a little bit too long. I mean, I didn't hate it. I I liked this movie the whole way through. I didn't feel like it was going too long, but it just it is like it. They have a whole big chunk here because they get to the planet. They you know use the local facilities to start refining it, and the weird uh I think they're called cloud raiders. The the, the rad dudes on hover bikes show up. Han makes some uh, empty threats about how many people they have inside the Millennium Falcon, uh, but then Han steals the Millennium Falcon and fucks off. <laughs> Lando. And he's not stealing it, it's his ship. Lando says he's going to go take a nap, and then he just leaves. He does, like, a Irish goodbye. It's great. He is very sad that his girlfriend just died, so, I mean, we kind of got to give it to but him. But his girlfriend's in the ship now, so they can be together forever. Until he loses her in a card game. <laughs> a tiny chunk of her girlfriend. Like, if, Ellen, if you died and we kept her under pineal gland to help us, like, deal with, to help us create weird theories about hair colors, like, we would consider that you still being alive. 
it, it's something to remember her by, but it's L three as the that that, that we ship know is a dead. living memorial to his great robot love. That's so sad. He loses it, in a, and then he bets it in a card game. That's awful. They make bad choices. These people. Uh, but yeah, the Cloud Raiders they unmask, and it turns out that they're actually good guys. Uh, the Crimson Dawn has been hunting them down like they're actually the survivors of various like uh, colonies and cities and planets that the Crimson Dawn raided. Uh, all banded together to uh, do what they can to damage the Crimson Dawn. And they they need the fuel to kind of power their own ability to resist almost some kind of uh, uprising or overthrowing or... Uh, it's almost like they got some, you know, words some like hope. That. It's something that they hope to do. Before the Empire can strike them back. But yeah, so Han, being Han, like he has a soft heart and he realizes, God damn it, these are good guys. We have to give them the fuel. Uh, Beckett disagrees because he is a bastard. He washes his hands of the whole thing and says, you know what, I, I'll i let you do whatever plan you're going to do, but I'm going to just walk away at this point. Just say I'm dead. So we know that he is leaving to betray. Um, and Han, Kira, and Chewie, and the Cloud Raiders, they come up with a plan. Turns out that they also knew that Beckett was going to be betraying them because their plan revolves around that. It's a little complicated, but it, it I, I can see it as being a very ramshackle Han plan. Like, this isn't a great it, plan, but it, it still is works. It is a Han plan, and that man, it could have failed just, like, at so many points, and he is so extremely lucky that it played out. Really, it's the start of a Han plan. As far as I can tell, he doesn't have, like, a middle and barely an end. Like, it's it's very much like the, the underwear gnomes, where it's like, <laughs> here's the front of the plan, then a question mark, <laughs> and then we're getting out of the ship somehow. So he goes into the meeting... With the hyperfuel, but it's not really the hyperfuel, but it is actually double secretly the hyperfuel. So Beckett knows that it, so Beckett knew that they were going to do this plan and he went away to tell Paul Bettany about it. And Paul Bettany is like doing, doing good acting and just saying like, oh yeah, it's sad that Beckett's died. And, oh, let me see it though. Uh, and he's surprised because like, oh, this looks exactly like the fuel, but I know it must not be because like Woody Harrelson is here. I should, I should just use his actor's name too. Now he's in the room, and now we have guns on you, and we've also arrested all of the other Cloud Raiders. We haven't killed them. No, we've arrested them, because this plan, it'd be real bad if then they all just died, and you did all this for nothing. But anyway, but then uh, they find out that the fuel isn't with the Raiders. It's actually still back in the meeting. And so then Woody Harrelson kind of looks at the situation and is like, uh... Yeah, I could just kill kill everybody here and just take it anyways. It's a it's a decent play by Woody Harrelson because he fucked up again if he doesn't betray Paul Bettany right now. Uh he knows he's going to die because that's what Paul Bettany does. Yeah, I just I I like the way he phrases it, you know, when when stuff is happening and Han is going further into his plan, Woody Harrelson just shoots all of Paul Bettany's guards. It's like I I want to think this over and while I'm doing it, I wanna be the only guy with a gun. Yeah, not a bad plan. Not a bad plan. So he steals the fuel and Chewie and goes away, leaving Kira and Han and Paul Bettany to decide amongst themselves who gets to live, who dies, who tells their story. They do this with, you know, some blaster and space sword fights. Yes, Paul Bettany, very good with the space swords. Han, very bad with the blaster. Like, hot damn, Han, you have a ranged weapon against a guy with a knife. You Use the advantage. Use the ranged advantage. <laughs> Again, with the multiple levels of plan. So Kira, uh, uh, I feel like Han is doing well enough in the fight that Kira really didn't need to do this, but... 
she kind of does a whole thing where she fake betrays Han and knocks the weapon out of his hand and sets up for an attack on him and then attacks Paul Bettany. It doesn't, like, kill him instantly. She still has to do a whole fight, and yeah, I, I think she could have just snuck around and stabbed Paul Bettany. That would have been a much better power move where, you know, Paul Bettany was monologuing and then just a sword appears through his chest and Kira's behind him. It would have been more satisfying if he was, like, mansplaining about how power works or something. Then there's just, like, a sword. <laughs> you, you could tell him evil... You can tell I'm evil because I have blonde hair. Yeah. That's significant yeah. for some reason. Thinks some people. Yeah, so Paul Bettany is dead and Kira and Han have won. And they have his ship. And everyone is out of the ship because he sent all the guards to go collect the uh, the fuel. And then they were all murdered by the Cloud Raiders. Han Solo says, just join up with me. You can run away from your your life as a high-level member of this criminal organization and live with me at a tiny ship. And Kira looks around at like the, the tables covered in jewels. And she tells Han, yeah, I'll, I'll catch up. Just give me a second here. Like, I like you, Han, but... Uh, yeah, you you go ahead. I will totally 100% catch up. I'm, I'm right behind you, Han. I'm, I'm just... Trust I'm me. I'm just getting my coat. I'll be right behind you. I, I didn't just get promoted, is what happened. But no, it said she actually did get promoted. So she has to talk to her new direct boss. It was Darth Maul. And Harry, did you know about this reveal? Did you know this was coming? I had heard Darth Maul showed up somewhere in this movie, but I thought it was more of just a side cameo thing. I I thought maybe the people behind the syndicate were important because Paul Bettany was like, yeah, my superiors are very dangerous men and maybe they're building up something there. Yeah, and his superior is one of the most dangerous men in the galaxy. You say that, but how many fights has he really won? <laughs> a fuck ton, Harry. He's like the major antagonist throughout the Clone Wars series. Uh, no, he's not. Doesn't he only show up really late? I've watched a lot of the Clone Wars series. Uh, he takes over Mandalore at a, at, at a certain point, Harry. Like, he, he takes over multiple criminal organizations. He keeps getting booted out. And that's, yes, that's true. Yeah, he, keep, he keeps losing. And the only, look, in, in The Phantom Menace, he killed Qui-Gon Jinn. And was Qui-Gon Jinn really a good Jedi? Like, let's think, think about it. His main contribution to the entire plot of everything was to make sure that Darth Vader existed. <laughs> if Qui-Gon Jinn had just not done anything, like, the galaxy would be so much better. I mean, that. let's not talk about the prequels, Harry. We talk enough <laughs> shit about the rise of Skywalker. We do not need to bring up the Phantom Menace here. <laughs> yeah, if we want to talk about weird plans that don't make sense. I thought that that movie was about pod racing, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. God, I do still have such a soft spot in my heart for pod racing. <laughs> like, I was just the perfect age I'm for so it. Sorry. And then the Nintendo 64 game came out, and that was a really good game. It got you so hard. I'm so sorry. <laughs> We're basically at the end of the movie. Woody Harrelson has a final confrontation with Han, who just shoots first. Takes him out. Yeah, Woody Harrelson says, yeah, I was going to kill you, so that was probably the right move. Anyway, your girlfriend is still super evil and trying to do your own thing, man. And then he dies. And Han sees his girlfriend flying away, and it's like, ah, well. <laughs> uh, the Cloud Raiders take the fuel, but leave Han uh, a single crystal to as payment, uh, which he uses to go to a card game. That, that's that's kind of... I feel like he should have said, hey, can I get, like, a fifth or something? Like, this you, This is 60 million credits worth, can I have 10 million credits worth? I feel like that's, that's more than fair. Yeah, I mean, they gave him one crystal. They really could have afforded, like, two or three, maybe a sleeve, you know, just a sleeve of the crystals. Yeah, like, there's, there's easy-to-carry stacks. Give me one stack and we're good. But hey, he goes back, he confronts Lando. They're very angry at Lando for ditching them, so he's kind of throttling him about in a, a very much played-up uh, version of the uh, introduction to Lando with the Empire Strikes Back. 
To which Han, you know, immediately goes to hug him. He finds the secret card in Londo's sleeve, steals it away, and then challenges him to a card game. The, the movie basically ends on him winning Millennium Falcon, right? It does. And as they're flying away, they say, hey, I heard that there was a big score on Tatooine, which we all know what that means. I guess at that job, he did just dump his fuel when he sees an Imperial coming at him. So he he changed his mind or something. I, I have a joke. I have a joke about me- Amelia Clark. <laughs> Proceed. <laughs> I think that Amelia Clark invented ghosting because she literally just floated away. <laughs> That's my joke. Okay. <laughs> All right, let, let's do a game. I like the idea for floating away. It's a power move. She's in like a space casino, and it, it's great. She's in a space casino. She is like a high-ranking captain for a crime family for the uh, Crimson Dawn. She's going to have all the grudge. She's going to be working with Darth Maul. I mean, we're never going to get a sequel to this movie, unfortunately, because it's pretty good. There'll be books. Yeah, I'm I'm sure there's plenty of books. What do we think happens to Kira? I think she gets killed. Doesn't she only need to survive for like a couple more years before Darth Maul dies? And then maybe she's in charge of the entire syndicate. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Well, I mean, a couple more. How how long is this before A New Hope? Because Darth Maul died. Shit, Darth Maul died, yeah, a couple years before New Hope. Yeah, it can't be much longer. Less than half a decade. Also, Darth Maul, man, Darth Maul was, he was like going to those uh, dark side temples uh, with Ezra. Was he Ezra's mentor during this movie? I don't know what the fuck you're talking about at this point. It's a Rebels plotline. You know what? Yeah, we're getting a bit too deep for Ellen. Let's let's close out this episode with a fun game if, of design. If it's not about hair color, Yay. I don't know what the fuck's going on. I'm, I'm here for the hair color, the mental health information, and the Bechdel testing. That's it. How about memorabilia? Okay, yeah, yeah. Star Wars, I mean, it's fun. A lot of people love it. It's a big part of a lot of our lives. But the reason why it survived is because of merchandising. It, it makes a lot of money for people. And over the years, some stuff has been sold for various prices. And I've created a game where you guys are kind of going to guess at the prices. Is this up? Is it prices, right, right rules? Prices, right rules? No, no, no. Rules? no. The way it works. So I have nine items, mm-hmm. like an odd number, so uh, like you can't tie. Okay. And how it's going to work, I'll, I'll say what the item is and the source I got the price from, and then one of you will say like a, a dollar amount, mm-hmm. and the other will have to say higher, lower, or spot on. Okay. Which in, which in this case will be like, just, just because, you know, I want you to have that chance if the person gets it, and spot on will be considered to be within 5% of the actual price. Okay. So, like, there's a little gift. Like, you don't need to get down to the cent. What What is the prize? Pride. It's knowing that you defeated your sibling, Ellen. What more do you need? D- does that I'll, Does I'll, that come with respect? Because I would love some respect. No. No, no. You know what? I'll, Ellen, I know you've been wanting some, like, restaurant food or something. Uh, if you win this, I'll order you something on Grubhub. Oh, that, sounds, your place. that sounds so good right now. Some pizza? Oh, God. Yeah, okay. Let's let's do this. I'm in it to win it. Wait, pizza? You can't figure out how to have pizza delivered to you? I don't like to pay for things. You know how it is. You'll take turns deciding whether you want to guess the dollar amount or, like, specify on the guess. And Ellen, because you're the guest, you have first choice. The first item is, kind of appropriately, Lego Star Wars Solo, A Star Wars Story. That's what it's called. Kessel Run Millennium Falcon. It's the one we saw in the movie, like, nice and with the thing on the front. It's the Lego kit. Uh, I got this price off of Amazon, 1,414 pieces. Okay, good. I I was going to ask how many pieces. I'm guessing $244. Sam, do you want to say higher, lower, or spot on? Higher. 
Uh, this is interesting because Ellen actually got it spot on. Fuck yeah! Fuck. It's 235.88. Oh! And you, you said 244. Yeah. That's within the spot on range. This is the best day of my life. So you're one step closer to some pizza or whatever. Fuck yeah. Item two, also off of Amazon. Uh, Star Wars Secret of Secrets of the Galaxy Deluxe Box Set. Uh, hardcover. So this these are collectible books talking about the kind of expanded universe of Star Wars. Specifically the old canon. And this was released one year after all of it was made non-canonical. <laughs> it's a like a very nice sleeve, and it's uh, I'll I'll say this one. It's a bit overpriced as a kind of a hint. And Sam, do you want to say the dollar or make Ellen say it? How many books? Four books. Four large hardcover books. Four. Like when you say large, are we talking like like coffee table style books? I would say about an RPG source book. We'll just state price. Go back and forth stating price. It doesn't make sense. To sure. Say. Yeah. Yeah. So. I am going to say $175. Lower. The point will be to Sam. Oh, because yes! the, Because the actual price is $2,862. Holy Carson, that's fuck. A trick, that's a trick one. That's a trick. No, no, the trick one is coming up in a couple. Oh, wait, wait, wait. This is collectible. You got, the, you got this off Amazon, Harry, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm taking the point. You can't take this point from a cold dead hands. But that is an algorithm one right there, Harry. Look, you, you have some some chance to make it back, Ellen. It's me versus the algorithm. I get it. Item three is John Boyega's Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker script. I'm, I'm not sure if you heard about this, but uh, John Boyega, the actor, uh, moved. And while he was moving, he planned to take a script with him, but he forgot. And the cleaner found it and put it on eBay, and it had to be bought by someone at the at the studio before it was spoiled. And he, he was very <laughs> embarrassed about it and got uh, made fun of a lot on morning shows when he was talked about it so the price is in pounds but i do have the american conversion so you can state either number so it was on ebay so what price it got up to before when it was sold when it, when it was so it was actually sold okay yeah someone at the studio just grabbed it uh three thousand or thirty two thousand dollars all right sam lower uh you're correct <laughs> this uh, the person really didn't know what they were selling, so they only got sixty-five pounds out of it. Whoa! Okay. <laughs> so, uh, that that was eBay, and we're staying on eBay for like a couple more items. And this one is clearly like a joke algorithm one. Like I, I went to it and looked at the highest priced one. This one is not intended to be bought by anybody. It is the Star Wars movie poster reference collection, voted number one offering worldwide. All caps. Sam, oh, God. what do you think the price is? I have to bet on a fucking algorithm joke. Uh, $99,000. Lower. All right. Sorry, Alan. Oh. Uh, but it is <laughs> $1.4 million. Dude. <laughs> For the record, I beat a Ellen three to one. Uh, I'll probably buy some food anyways. Like, don't worry, Ellen. Yay. I'm not going to deprive food. No, yet. Ellen starves. That's her punishment. <laughs> no. I'll, I'll buy you food, but not the food you want. I'll just buy some food. <laughs> That's so cruel. <laughs> All right. Number five, Star Wars Trilogy Definitive Collection Laserdisc Box Set. And specifically, uh, these were used, but in very good condition. What what website are these off of? This is also eBay. eBay. And this is a recent listing. Like, this, I think this one's going right now. So is this episodes four through six? Okay, so, it, so it's in a sleeve, and they're... I don't think they made laser discs of the prequels, Ellen. Okay, it's in a sleeve, and they're used. It's used in good condition. I'm not... I, it appears to be original packaging, although, 
like I said, opened. Does it say what year it was issued? During the three-month period when Laserdiscs were a thing. <laughs> I remember watching Laserdisc at my friend's house. Like, her mom her mom had a copy of Bye Bye Birdie on Laserdisc. We had to, I think we had to turn it over halfway through. It's amazing. <laughs> it's on eBay, and it's a recent listing. Yes. Shit. Okay. God. Like, something, there's there's two voices inside of me. One of them is saying $45, and the other one's saying that, like, it's really high. But I'm going to go with $45. Higher. Nope. Apparently the price <gasps> has come down for these because it is $20.50. That's not bad. Let's get it. No! It, it's, I mean, we would no. need a laser disc player. So it's in good condition, and I was looking for some details. I noticed in the description, yeah, uh, just guy saying, yeah, a little wear, but it's in good condition. Watch them, they play good. And if you want to see more stuff from me, follow me at Marijuana Thrift Kid on Instagram. <laughs> and also, uh, I have the first ever VHS streaming service, Marijuana VHS TV on YouTube. And I watched some of those videos, and I might be, like, a little obsessed with this guy. Like, I'm going to try to find out more. So this next question, Sam, is breaking a little, but how many followers do you think he has on Instagram? Marijuana Thrift Kid. Oh, Jesus. Kid. Marijuana Thrift Kid on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, and we're doing higher or lower? Yeah, same rules, just followers instead of dollars. I'm going with 150,000. Oh, God. That's a good guess, isn't it, Ellen? I'm going to go lower. You're right. Marijuana Thrift Kid is an underappreciated gem at only 3,448 followers. See, that, that's the thing, Sam. That's, that's a travesty. No, no, no. The thing is, he's too cool to buy followers. Those are, like, legit followers. Those aren't Those aren't Russian bots. That's for real. You got it inflated by the top of the list you were doing in that other game. But no, th- this guy's he's real. Yeah. And he's he's here to make some deals and probably smoke some weed. This is amazing. That ties us up. 3-3. Three, three. Yeah, tied. Question seven. How much is... Well, it's about Star Wars The Galaxy's Edge. We were talking about it and how expensive things are there. And I was looking at some of the prices because it felt like that would be good material. Mm-hmm. So, Ellen, you are going to have to guess the price. Of a yubnubbed cocktail at their uh, in resort bar, which is Malibu pineapple rum, Sailor Jerry spiced rum, juices, and pra- passion fruit. And what is it referencing? Like, what what is the 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 name? I think a creature just says yubnub. Ewok. And and where's where is it sold? Star Wars Galaxy's at Edge. Galaxy's Edge. But like in resort. Okay. So at their bar. Okay. <sighs> There's a mm, god in Seattle. It would be like between twelve and sixteen dollars in Disneyland. Let's say twenty six dollars. Twenty six dollars is your guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sam, higher, lower, or spot on? Shit, that's a good guess. I'm going spot on. Nope, it is forty two dollars. No Fuck. shit. Yeah, a flight of beers is seventy five bucks there. No shit. You can buy, like, a long workshop experience. And by the way, your, your time there is very regimented, so you're spending even more money there to get a lightsaber, and it's $200. It's, like, a bottle of Coke is a special bottle of Coke that costs five bucks. But it looks like a thermal detonator, so it's totally worth it. Disneyland is just for rich people now. It's so weird. Kinda, yeah. Yeah, okay. But there's a way you can get that Star Wars experience not for rich people. Yeah. By paying actors small sums of money to act for you on Cameo. <laughs> And Sam, for 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 the eighth for the eighth uh, price in this list, how much would it cost to book a you know the standard Ella? Do you know about cameo? Yes. So this is Daniel Logan, who was Boba Fett in the prequel movies, and now he's the voice actor for Boba Fett going forward. Seriously, Sam, how about yeah? 
how how much I looked for actors you could see the faces of. Like Jar Jar Banks guy is on there, uh, Ezra Bridger's voice person, but someone you saw in the movies. It it was this guy and the fat pilot who died in the Rise of Skywalker. Dude, oh, don't say that. That's that that was Snap Wexley Harry. That's, that's fucking iconic. <laughs> For this iconic guy, Sam, how much do you think you'll have to pay him to say, like, an intro to this podcast or whatever? Like, I don't want to do it. Let's not bother him. $75. All right, Ellen. I'm guessing lower. Like, in my mind, it's like $63. And Ellen is correct. It is indeed lower. Damn. Which means that this last question is relevant. How much is it really? How much is it really? Oh, $50. Oh, yeah. Fuck. I was actually, I was randomly on Cameo this week. I was looking at, like, Bachelor people. <laughs> Why didn't I go to the Star Wars section? Why? Just uh, as a comparison, the guy in the Chewbacca suit is 100. That, uh, Snap Wexley is 125. I don't know why he thinks he's two and a half times as good as, uh, you Because know, he was also fans. on Heroes. One of the Knights of Ren is $24. <laughs> That's really getting done there. Jar Jar's 100. It, it's, it's a whole thing. Anyway, our final question. This is the most expensive piece of Star Wars memorabilia that has ever been sold. It is George Lucas's Episode Four Panavision camera that was sold at a Beverly Hills auction. And Ellen, it is your turn to state the price. I feel like it should be like $60,000, but I feel like that's like not enough for it to be like the most expensive piece of Star Wars memorabilia ever sold. So I'm going to triple it and say $180,000. 180000 Sam, do you believe it is lower, spot on, or higher? Higher. I, I hear typing. Are you Googling it? I, I'm looking at stickers on Etsy. I'm not cheating. <laughs> okay. Why would I cheat? I'm going with higher. You're correct. The actual price was $625,000. What? Yeah, like, Ellen, th- those cameras, like just flat out of the factory or like 100k this was the the camera that made episode four that's pretty cool yeah but it don't don't feel too bad ellen because you still won five to four fuck yeah food for me yeah i'll buy you a dinner sometime in the in the next week maybe maybe i'll do it on star wars night because i i think we're having a family chat on that day anyways are we no one told me we decided at the last family chat (laughs) i don't remember that at all I'm sure there'll be an email chain, but anyways, now you can have some, like, you can have a nice pizza while we're talking. That sounds delicious. Thank you so much. Thank you to everyone who made this possible. Thank you to the Academy, all the people. Thank you to Star Wars for giving us, you know, like, you've put out five movies recently, and we've got, like, two and a half <laughs> Thank good Thank you, ones. Star Wars, for giving us some sort of, like, moral uh, education. <laughs> Some sort of some sort of religious education. Thank you, Star Wars, for teaching us to always blow up Nazis. Thank, thank you, Star Wars, for teaching yes. us to hate Nazis. Thank you. So that's it for this episode. Next time we will be covering just a, one or two episodes of Kamen Rider Zero One and two episodes of Power Rangers RPM. Uh, I know Sam knows, but Ellen, you claimed you'd listen to some of our episodes. So what what should we continue doing until next time? Someday I will. What, what, <laughs> right. What's the question? <laughs> What what is the thing we say at the end of literally every episode that we're going to keep doing in order to keep people's spirits high during this time of I crisis? Don't know. I don't know. What is it? Keep dancing. <laughs> Just keep dancing. <laughs> keep keep dancing. I love it.